I have had some really weird experiences on rivers with uh, whitefish around where people are just kind of, I, they don't really treat uh, a whitefish the same that they would treat a trout. They kind of are annoyed that they keep catching whitefish. And maybe that leads to some, uh, you know, not as great angling practices with like catch and release and stuff. And, and I just got to thinking about it. Like, well, I mean, if you look at a, a whitefish's mouth, it's facing down and, you know, I kind of have a background in evolutionary biology. So I'm thinking about like, well, why that came to be. And, you know, you realize that that's, they, they've got really good at doing one thing and that's sucking up nymphs off the bottom. So, you know, if you're an angler and you're pushing, you know, a deep nymphing rig through a river and, you know, there's whitefish there, you can't be disappointed when you pull up a whitefish because they're just really good at doing that. So I kind of wanted to approach it in the sense of like, well, you know, whitefish are native too. Maybe, maybe we can find a way of showing people like maybe better presentation that doesn't lead to such kind of not so great angling tactics on whitefish and also help people understand and maybe target trout better when they're in waters with people. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the Fly Crate. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques, and they provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. And for a limited time, our listeners get the benefits of the fly crate is giving new customers a dozen trout flies for free for your next order of $40 or more. Just simply go to www.theflycrate.com slash flyfishing97. That's www.theflycrate.com slash flyfishing97. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. This time around, we want to welcome to the program Andy Witt. Now, Andy is the founder of Due West Anglers out of Denver, Colorado, a coalition of Rocky Mountain anglers who believe in conservation through recreation. And uh, Andy's uh, well-schooled in watershed science, got an MS in watershed science and ecology Worked on projects with cutthroat trout conservation, endangered fish recovery. And Andy, I really like this one. A firm believer that fly fishing is just applied science. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Andy. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You, you got, you, we got to start with a science question. We're going to get into your history, kind of how you got, how you came to fly fishing and what drives your passion for it. But I'd like to start off with that, that sentence that stuck with me, a firm believer that fly fishing is just applied science. Explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, it kind of goes along with my history of the sport, but you know, when I was first starting out, which was early college for me, it might've been a little later than other people. Um, but I would, you know, I'd come across books where it was like, you know, uh, stream stream bugs or aquatic entomology for scientists and anglers or the mind of the trout for scientists and anglers. So, you know, as a young kind of person that was interested in the biological sciences and starting to really take off in fly fishing, I'm seeing this connection between the two. 
And, you know, I think my interest in science fueled my fly fishing passion and my fly fishing passion fueled my interest in science. So whenever I could, I would just try to link them up the best I could. Hmm. So, you know, I see a lot of connections and, you know, some of them are, you know, this is just an explanation of the phenomenon. And so maybe some anglers don't really need to know the terms or the scientific names, but I love that kind of stuff. And then, you know, with the interest in ecology, it's less about the individual species and more about the dynamics of how the the whole system fits together. So, sure. you know, you can look at, you can look at how the bugs influence the fish or you can look at, you know, how the weather influences the fish. It can go, it can go a lot of different ways. So I, I mean, I've got a curious mind in that sense, but I just love those types of questions. And they're also maddening because some of them are really hard to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm really curious. I mean, having such a science background that you do, how much do you think, like, honestly, how much do you think that helps your time on the water? How much do you think that brings to your fishing experience? Um, It probably does. You know, if you took like a crash course, there might be little tidbits you take out of it. But I think bigger than that is just kind of the, the, the scientific method or the way you think about things. And um, there's a lot of ways you can uh, take that approach in, in fly fishing. So you can say, I have this hypothesis, or, or I think this, you know, off-the-wall fly is going to work for these reasons. And then you can really start to test it and say, hey, this was a terrible idea. This is going nowhere. Or, hey, I think I'm onto something here. So just applying kind of that inquisitive or like, I think I want to get to the bottom of this, or I want to understand this better and see how that might affect something else that that's from science. I mean, that's, that's a scientific method. And so, you know, if you can take that, you don't have to be crazy about like mad science style, but you know, you can just take little bits and pieces and try to fit it all together over, you know, your angling life. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of learn some stuff from it. And, you know, you just have to keep asking questions and and asking why and looking for the answer too. Well, I like the way you look at it because I, I, I mean, I've always believed that the deeper understanding we have, about anything we're doing, the more vested we are, the more we get out of it. And and to be quite honest, I was looking at some of your uh, your blogs with uh, Do West Anglers online, and there was some really interesting articles there that really broke it down. Do you know what I mean? Like whether it's presentation mm-hmm. yeah. or or the the what a fish sees when it's looking up in a trout. I really I, I got to say kudos to you because there's some great articles there, some really good stuff. Um, maybe explain a little bit about your blog and, and the information and what you're doing with, with Due West Anglers. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we kind of try to focus on the world of conservation underneath fly fishing. So I might have an article about a fly fishing topic, but there's sort of some conservation type things kind of buried in there. And so I try to mix that in wherever I can. Um, we kind of have three main focuses. I mean, it is fly fishing based, so there's a lot of tactics. Mm-hmm. And then I do a little bit with flies. I mean, I'm, I love fly tying and I love bugs and stuff like that. So I do try to do that. I want to do more, uh, especially as we head into winter here. But And then the other one is uh, nature topics, and that's pretty vague. But I try to keep it relevant. So uh, for the article that you're mentioning about, like, white fish and trout, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had some really weird experiences on rivers with uh, whitefish around where people are just kind of, I, I, they don't really treat 
uh, a whitefish the same that they would treat a trout. They kind of are annoyed that they keep catching whitefish, and maybe that leads to some, uh, you know, not as great angling practices with, like, catch and release and stuff. And and I just got to thinking about it, like, well, I mean, if you look at a, a whitefish's mouth, it's facing down, and, you know, I kind of have a background in evolutionary biology, so I'm thinking about, like, well, why that came to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you realize that that's they, – they, got really good at doing one thing and that's sucking up nymphs off the bottom. So, you know, if you're an angler and you're pushing, you know, a deep nymphing rig through a river and, you know, there's whitefish there, you can't be disappointed when you pull up a whitefish because they're just really good at doing that. So I kind of wanted to approach it in the sense of like, well, you know, whitefish are native too. Maybe, maybe we can find a way of showing people like maybe better presentation that doesn't lead to such kind of not so great angling tactics on whitefish and also help people understand and maybe target trout better when they're in water as we see both. Yeah, I really love the way that article was laid out because you were talking about a subterminal versus a terminal mouth. Yeah. Explain that. Uh, I mean, I got it because I read it, but but to those that may be hearing it right. for the first time, what does that mean? Right. So uh, I mentioned that a whitefish's mouth is facing down. So that's more subterminal, meaning it's, it's like a think of like a carp. Mm-hmm. So that's where that fish is looking for food. It's looking down or at least at its eye level. And if that's on the bottom of the stream, you know, that's pretty low in the water column of a river. Um, and, you know, I mean, anecdotally, you don't hear a lot about whitefish coming up for drives. I mean, it happens every now and then or a whitefish taking a streamer. I mean, they're pretty good at eating nymphs and that's because they're designed to do that. And that's what made them successful. And that's why they're around today. Right. Uh, and on the other side of it, you've got um, a trout and the difference of a mouth of a trout is that it, it opens at the end of its snout. So it's not favoring the bottom. So feeding down in the water column or feeding up in the water column. So it's more of a versatile feeder. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, just walking through that and kind of understanding the history of, you know, natural selection and not trying to get too sciencey in it, but just those simple kind of facts you can realize, like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm better focusing on some places that just eliminate the whitefish from taking my fly. If that's something I'm really not interested in, there's other ways around it. I know exactly what you're talking about because there's a river that I fish locally that is full of Rocky Mountain whitefish and it's also full of rainbow trout. But sometimes, you know, you'll hit a school and those whitefish like to hang together and it's like, oh man, another whitefish. And at the end of the day, we probably should be grateful or something that, that, that happened right. to fall for our presentation. But it makes a lot of sense with what you're saying. The one thing you did say in that article that really caught my attention was think of a sucker. You know, you can't get any more downward. I mean, you're not going to catch a sucker yeah. on a dry fly very often, if right, ever, right. right? So, and same with the yeah. carp you're mentioning. But the trout, I think that's probably what makes it such an exciting sports fish because it's looking up a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why, that's one of the things that's just mesmerizing and it's got me mesmerizing trout is when they come up. <laughs> Maybe talk a little bit about what they see in your mind when they come up a trout. So I know another article that I was looking at of yours was, was on their field of vision and kind of what they're seeing. Um, explain a little bit about that, if you don't mind. What 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 does a trout see? Are you, are you talking more about like um, as far as I, I wrote one about like the energetics and that kind of stuff? Is yeah. that what you're asking? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So 
I mean, I, I've done a lot of research and I took some courses at, you know, in school about how animals feed and the idea of an animal knows what it needs. And so it, it's this, this idea of optimal foraging. So it knows exactly, you know, how much calories the different items have and it knows where to go to get it. And so it's, it's really interesting when you think about it in the fishing world, especially when we're trying to hack into that, right? And we're trying to dupe them out of a, a meal. Um, but the, the basic principle is sort of they're trying to maximize the energy they would get from something, but also minimize the energy expenditure that it takes to go find it. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating in a river because you have the flow of the river constantly coming out of fish. So the energy expenditure as a fish moves further and further away to find a food item, um, it, it makes it more, it takes its handling time or, it, you know, sure. if the cheeseburger is way far away, I got to get in my car, I got to go drive, but it's like, oh, I got chips in the cupboard. I'm just going to eat the chips. Like, it, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I like so, that analogy. <laughs> Are we comparing like midges, chronomids to chips now? <laughs> 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 I like it. Yeah, I mean, Cheetos, it's basically a mind niche, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cheeto fly. Yeah, I can, uh, okay, I see where you're coming. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so keep going on that vein, if you don't mind. I, fi- I find that fascinating, to be quite honest, because I've always thought about that, because I fish a lot of still waters, where I think yeah. sometimes in still waters, you really need to trick the fish, because they got time to look at it, and, you know, they have to swim to basically everything. Nothing's coming to them. Right. So, so in a yeah, rip- so what usually, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you go, you go ahead. Oh, okay. What, what I was going to say is, you know, these fish are foraging so much that they get, um, they know what they're looking for. Once they've kind of found that thing, you know, so if they go, I want chips, that's all I want. I, you know, it's not that hard to get or, and I'm after it. They get that really specific search image. And I think that comes from their, they're optimizing, they're figuring out like, this is the best food I can eat in this moment without really having to go out of my way to get it. And so when that happens, they get, they get hung up on finding those items. And so, you know, in a lake, for example, when chronomids are coming up and they get that gas in their exoskeleton that kind of makes them shiny Mm -hmm. and they start elevating in the water column, that might be the visual cue that they associate with that food. So pretty soon, um, you know, they're just looking for, you know, something shiny and and about the right size. And then if you can, if you can get there, um, you know, it's game on, you found the thing you've hacked into the system. Right. So I I don't really think it's like a selective fish. I think it's mostly like our flies just aren't really doing a good job when a fish is selective. So Mm -hmm. I think it's just finding that search image and really understanding that, you know, sometimes it is something really small and it might sound counterintuitive, but they've, they've figured out how to survive. You know, they've been surviving a lot longer than we've been fishing for them. So well, they, they know what they're looking for. And, and we're just trying to hack into that. I tell you what, Andy, the, the biggest fish that I've caught in my life have come on the smallest flies, like without a doubt. Yeah, I'd actually agree. Um, I had an old boss who was a fisherman and a scientist and he was really all about, you know, big food, big fish. And <laughs> I never really talked to him about it in depth, but I, I don't agree with that because, you know, it depends. It's mm-hmm. just, you just can't say for sure. I often wonder too, uh, give me your thoughts on the, on this. Uh, so 
if a fish has been caught once or twice and, and released, they get they wise up. So a, a big fish, yeah. an, probably an older fish, has seen a few things. So in my mind, when something, you know, if it's got thousands and thousands of small midges or small uh, cinnamon caddis floating by it, it, it's it's a safe food item because it knows that. But, you know, I, I get yeah. the Big Mac thing floating by. Yeah, you're going to get the odd big one. But I think those <laughs> real big ones that get smart, you can really trick them mm-hmm. with something small and, and something they're comfortable with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one of my first moves is, you know, if I'm fishing a technical river and it's, you know, pressured and a lot of the, the tailwaters like in the winter around here are very pressured, mm-hmm. I almost on average, I'm trying to figure out what everybody else is fishing and then go smaller. And maybe it's one size smaller, maybe it's two, but it's for that same reason. And it's because they wise up, they have, they have memories of certain things. I don't know if they have like, you know, memories of, traumatic events in their lives i'm not super familiar with how that all works but it's i mean just an angling experience it sure seems like that's true or they associate it with you know the indicator overhead or the the sound of the split shot or the shadows right they can sense they they for sure know yeah no a hundred percent i always think i'm not a big hunter anymore but i always think you you know when you're looking for that big muley you never see it, but when you're driving to the, you know, and it's it's in its happy place, you'll see a, a nice uh, eight point or four point if you're if you're north of the border. But you know what I mean? Like it's like it's not it's in its comfort zone and it's it nothing's out of place for it. But like you say, the second you see a strike indicator or you see the 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 shininess of a truck, they got their you know their tail up and they're on right. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> crazy yeah i guess that is evolution though isn't it because if i mean it makes sense that uh i i i always think of of trout in a river that have seen a lot of presentations especially heavily pressured waters if you can trick a fish it's a real feather in your cap because because you're doing something mm-hmm. that maybe not everybody else is doing yeah and they do make you work for it too so i think that's sometimes really rewarding because you get onto this it's almost like a battle or a dance where you're saying, all right, well, what do you think about this? And then trying to read their response and saying, okay, that, that wasn't it. And what do I do now? And it's, it's a really fun, it's one of my favorite um, ways to fish is w- when it works out, it's very rewarding. Like you mentioned. Hmm. I'd like to know the story on how you came to start do West anglers. How did that all come about? Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I was working as, uh, an ecologist and we were doing lots of fish stuff. And my, my boss, he, he basically retired and he moved up to Bozeman. And that was about the time I kind of decided I wanted to do this and I wanted to go to grad school. But in the meantime, I was working at a shop, like a fly shop. And we were, uh, you know, I had a winter where I was just fishing like mad and I started, getting all these ideas, maybe it was because I was, you know, starting to think really hard about science more and more as I was ramping up for going back to graduate school. But I just had all these ideas and maybe it was from spending so much time on the water or I just couldn't unravel them all. And I kind of started writing them down just to try to work through them on, you know, on my own. And I found that I actually worked through ideas pretty well if I could put them on paper or on the computer and kind of work through them in a written setting. Um, and so I started, I started blogging 
um, just kind of for fun. I don't think, I mean, I got some views, but I wasn't really like thinking anybody would be interested in reading it. And, um, I started doing that that winter and, you know, had a lot of people that I was bouncing ideas off of and fishing a lot. So I was thinking about it and talking with people and, you know, car rides or rough days. And then I just start jotting these ideas down. And then I, I kind of continued through grad school. Um, I had the luxury of going to a grad school where there was a little freestone river pretty close by. So we'd fish it all the time after, you know, like five o'clock during the summer, the sun's up until nine or 10. And sometimes that didn't even matter. We'd just fish it all night long, just to kind of break up the day. And, you know, you get more ideas, just the more time you spend out there, the more you're thinking about it and the more questions you have. Mm-hmm. And then the more questions I have being kind of science minded, it's like, wow, oh, geez, how do I get to the bottom of this? Or like, what's out there that someone's already investigated and how can I relate that to this particular, you know, angling problem that I'm having or like, how can I approach this from an angling perspective? Right. And it, it kind of grew up from there. Um, I, I intentionally grab books when I can and just power through them and try to read as much as I can and then say, okay, how does that relate to, uh, you know, this other book that I've read and, and try to just decipher it. Uh, the other thing I would say is that when I was learning there, I didn't really find a lot of resources after you kind of get over that, uh, introductory hump, mm. at least on the internet. Yep. So I kind of had the approach of like, well, I'm in a unique situation where I kind of have some, you know, resources, like I can look at like scientific writing and things like that at my disposal. Let's try to, let's try to use some of that and like elevate what's out there for, um, other people. And, you know, it's strictly my experience and, uh, who knows? I mean, if people find it useful, I think that's fantastic. Well, you hit something, you just hit. I'm also doing it for myself. No, but that's, but that's, that's the best reason in my mind, because if you, you're not the only person in the world that feels that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was, that was something that I, I would totally agree with you, Andy. Like if I go back a few years, it's like the information, it's not, it's not quite itching not scratching that itch if you know what i mean it's like yeah there's basic information but i want to know i want to know all the different species of caddis and i want to know uh what they look like and i want to be able to identify them and i i mean let's face it you could spend your whole life doing that right but yeah it oh yeah i just found i found years ago there wasn't the detail that i was looking for i think there is now i mean i think you can you know, but and mm-hmm. guys like yourself and and what you guys are doing with Do West Anglers, I think it's great because it's it's only going to help other anglers catch fish and understand the big picture. Yeah, you know, that, I'd like to add something off that, and that's we get so particular with when we're tying flies. Like I've heard guys tell me, like it's got to be this color, you got to have peacock dyed this color, and then it's five turns and whatever. And I, I okay, that's great. I fly looks nice but we haven't really elevated our game as far as like i've started keeping a log of my fishing so you know where i was um the weather the moon the barometric pressure i mean it's kind of ridiculous but just as a way of chronicling what the experience was and and then i mean as a scientist as a data guy i can go back later and say wow look at this there might be some trend here that we've never noticed right and so i think that's another way that people could really elevate it, at least personally, is to say, hey, I'm hitting the same spot I hit last year, this time. What should I expect? You know, you don't need to look at the the, guy, or the, uh, 
online reports or anything. You have your own information, and that, I think a lot of people would agree that's better. Yeah. But you just don't see that that often. So, I mean, those are kind of things I'd like to pursue more with U.S., uh, and I'm trying to, but I don't have a huge data set either. And that's it's just something you just got to do. Well, I've got a couple fishing buddies that do journal, like you're talking about. And I, I think oh, it, yeah. the confidence that it brings um, can't be understated either because we have short memories for a lot of things. You, you may remember the fish, yeah. but you may not remember what you're using. But like you said, if it's a sunny day in May and, and this color seems to always work when the sun's out early season or, you know, there's those little things that we tend mm-hmm. to forget about. Yeah. It's the details, right? I also tend to get it wrong once I leave. I mean, that's the origin of the fishing tale, right? There's a lot of details kind of, get exaggerated so yeah i try to write it down as soon as i can so i'm not spewing it too bad and then i have a, a you know i have a good history that i don't have to keep in my brain i can kind of offload that and then revisit it when i need to when i'm curious when you're as someone that has a science mind that when you're sitting there tying flies are you going more for realism or are you going more for su- suggestive patterns oh suggestive I actually kind of put the uh, the science part of me away for most of my time, hmm. um, just because I think some of the the most effective patterns in my experience, you know, I can't really get my mind around like better than just kind of the vague image of what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I think it's you're you're hacking into the cues. So like back to the, you know, if they've got a search image that they're really looking for, and I mentioned that it might be on a lake, if a, you know, if a coronum is hatching, it might be that chrome look like a chromie, the, the, the fly. Right. And maybe, maybe your fly doesn't really look that much like a midge, except that it's on a curved hook, but it's got that kind of iridescent chrome, you know, color and it hits the light. Right. And that's what they need to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a huge believer in ultra realism because there's also no movement. Like the more realistic I think you get, with your tying, the more static it is. Yeah. So like a, a really, really cool stone fly that you could almost, you know, put next to a specimen and say, wow, they look exactly like that doesn't show the way that the stone flies hinge and wiggle when they're, you know, uh, dislodged. They don't, I mean, they don't like it when they're dislodged. They're squirming all over the place. Right. So there's <laughs> that is, motion there. That is so true. I know exactly. It can be too real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can picture it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said. So there. you put hackle on something and then it, yeah. that gives the illusion of the motion and who knows what it is. But I mean, I think some of the older fly patterns sometimes are better because, you know, they, they didn't have as many materials. They were using more natural stuff that breathes and has motion. And they weren't, they didn't have the resources to try to make it look super realistic, which I think for me, I, I would not get caught up on that. I don't think that would work for my fishing at least. Yeah. Hey, can I throw a few rapid fire questions at you? Yeah, let's do it. Totally random. Uh, well, this won't be a tough one for you. Broncos, Rockies, or Avs? Oh man. Ugh. Broncos, but the abs are a super close second. If you're on a Rocky Mountain stream or a river, what's your go-to pattern? If you had one pattern to pull from your box, what, what would you put on? Uh, Charlie Craven's two-bit hooker with two beads on it. <laughs> All right. That's very specific. What color is that flag? <laughs> it's gray. I like the gray one that he does. Yeah. Okay. 
go to fly rod. What's your fave? Fly line? No, your fly rod. If you were to pick one fly rod. Oh, rod. Yeah. Uh, I'd pick a five weight, and I don't want something with super stiff action. I want something with more like a mid-flex. Hmm. Favorite tunes to listen to on the way to the water? Oh, man. I'm going to get some exposure for these guys. Don of the Buffalo okay. are an amazing band. They're super cool and funky and... They've got a really positive vibe, and I'm listening to those guys all the time. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Is that iTunes, yeah. or where are you finding that? Uh, yeah, they're on iTunes. Cool. Browns or Bows? Any preference? <laughs> I'd actually say Bows. Yeah. Most yeah, memorable I trip. I love the aerobatic stuff. What's the most memorable uh, most trip? Most memorable you... trip. Yeah. Ooh. No, that one's tougher. Um, I, I, a couple friends and I went down to San Juan below Navajo Reservoir in New Mexico. And it's a really wide river, and it's not that deep, and it's uh, full of large fish that eat super tiny flies. And it's just such a unique place to fish. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll come up behind you, and they'll sit in the little pocket that you make when you're out wading. And you have to... You have to just like deal with these fish that are taunting you as you fish to other fish. <laughs> it's uh, it's a really cool river. I really enjoy it, it's, especially for like technical grinding kind of fishing. Yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah, you're probably doing something right when you get into something there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Favorite place to talk fishing in the greater Denver area? Is it a fly shop? Is it a pub? What does that look like? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, if I go to a fly shop, I'm usually heading over to Angrizol. Uh, they do an awesome job keeping everything stocked as far as the tying goes. And yeah. there's always really interesting conversations going on in there. Not always about trout either. Um, sometimes people are talking about, you know, saltwater fishing. And, and it's just like, I haven't really looked into that ever. So it's kind of interesting to just kind of hear all these different brains coming together sometimes. I like to harness the uh, the artistic side of your brain for a second and get you to paint okay. us a, a little picture. So um, if you could have your perfect day on the water, what does that look like? Is this, a, is this an early morning thing, coffee in hand? Kind of walk us through that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'll try to walk through it. I don't know if there's an order here, but I it's kind of am more of a night owl. So I would probably get there a little later. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> When I would show up, you know, the hatch would be going off. And I kind of alluded to this uh, a little bit already, but I really kind of like the technical kind of, you got a really do do with the fish to figure it out. So I'm thinking like a BWO hatch is starting to come off. And so, you know, they're taking emergers for a while and then they might move on to, you know, dries. Um, but it would be in like a really pretty kind of red rock or exposed rock canyon we kind of have the elevation change and then maybe partly cloudy, but some blue sky. Um, and, and I would be waiting. I, I don't think I would be off a boat because mm. again, I really like that. You kind of, it's you versus the fish and you're sight fishing or you're watching a pod and trying to figure it out. But, um, and then the other thing is you got to figure it out, right? Like there's some days where you just can't quite get it, but in this day we would figure it out. It would be, 
you know, something weird, like, oh, I got a Grease and RS2 and use 7X or something like that. And that would be the ticket. And then once you get that, it's on. And then, you you know, you tell your buddies and then everybody starts, you know, catching fish because you guys figured it out. And then, uh, man, we'd fish, we'd fish that hard all day. Hopefully it'd continue. And then maybe we'd even fish into the evening and swing some streamers. Uh, that's pretty fun. I, I do enjoy doing that. So, you know, try nice. to, if there's browns, try to pick a couple of browns off after the sun goes down. You end up around a campfire? Mm. Oh, yeah. And then we, we tell all the tales. And we lie to each other about how big the fish were. <laughs> that's right. That's why you got to write it down. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. If if you could think of your time since you've started Do West Anglers, what what would be a the biggest takeaway from this journey you've been on? I'd say never stop asking a question or, or wondering why, just because it just seems like it just keeps opening up more things. And maybe it's just a way of thinking, but I, it, it just, it fuels me even more because, you know, if you have a great day, it's not like, oh, that was great. And then you just put the rod away. It's like, oh, that was amazing. I wonder why that was so good. I wonder if I go back tomorrow, if it's going to be as good. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's endless, right? Because I don't think we'll ever get all the answers, but I think that's what makes it fun, especially for me is you know, trying to improve or trying to best what I've already done or trying to understand a little more um, and, and just try to use that in, in a positive way. And so I'm trying to, you know, to the singers, I'm trying to give it back to, like, we're just trying to share the information. Let's talk influences. Who, who's been, if you could cite one or two people of kind of uh, mentoring you or helping you on your fly yeah. fishing journey, who would, who would you look to? Well, you know, when I started fly fishing, I didn't really have that from my family, which is too bad. Um, I kind of found it on my own. And so I looked to the internet, you know, as far as like starting for sure. And this was about the time that Tom Rosenbauer um, got his podcast going. And I I can't believe how amazing um, what the way he talks about things and the way he explains things and his always really um, helpful. And this is just through his podcast. I don't know him, but sure. uh, it, it totally springboarded everything. And so I, I kind of, I still listen to that to, to the, to this day. Cause there's just a little bits that you can pick out of it. Um, but I, yeah, I think that really exploded in my mind, how I would do this. Do, do you know what I think, Eddie, that gets back to in my mind, you're talking about wanting details. And, and I think the podcast format does that really well. If you, if you yeah, can hone in, you know, because you get past that surface stuff, right? Yeah, I, the, the surface stuff is out there, and it's great. But when people start asking why, that's a lot harder for you know a, a, a static website to get at, and sometimes you can't get at it. So, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Is there anything that you think we could do better in fly fishing? Is there anything you'd like to see us do maybe differently? Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's probably a couple issues that are swirling around that everybody's kind of knows what they are but one that i'd like to talk about that i i think it might be specific to here but we deal a lot in denver i mean it's kind of a fly fishing metropolis is overcrowding and you know if you have a day where you're the only one on the river it becomes like man what's wrong like is this a bad day does everybody know something that i don't just because it's so normal to see uh, you know a good amount of people out fishing and so one thing I'd really like to see in 
in Colorado and maybe like the, the Western U S I haven't really seen it that much is more of a focus for trout fishing on like still waters and lakes, because it's so amazing how big the fish can be and how unpressured they are. But people seem to kind of just ignore it, but everybody still wants big fish and they want solitude. So I don't quite get that one, but I'm trying to get, trying to be, you know, like, let's go lake fishing. Like, let's go try something new because, because it's just a whole different game. And I think it unlocks a lot of possibilities that uh, I think people don't know about. It sounds like you do your fair share of stillwater fishing. So, you know, exactly what I'm referring to. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a hidden gem in my mind, but don't get me wrong. I, if I had the choice between the two, I'd take in the river. And and this is from yeah. a guy that fishes. I fish ninety percent still water, uh, probably ten percent river. And I I'd still take the river to be honest. But like you say, if you want to get away from the crowds and you want to get into some some protein rich waters with maybe a slightly higher pH and some monsters, that that to me you're not going to find those double digit fish in the river too often. Yeah, people, you know, when the when like the brown spawn starts out, that drives people crazy, and they're all you know, going to the river that the, the fish are moving into. And it's like, well, you know that they live in that lake like the entire year, right? So maybe mm-hmm. you don't have to take off work for two weeks <laughs> and try to get them in the river. Like you got a whole year outside of that. You, you know, you want to put in some time. You could probably get one. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. If Have you got any crazy fish stories that have happened to you in the past few years that come to mind? I always like to ask, is there uh Anything wild or wonderful that's happened to you in the water? Um, I can think of two. So okay. I'll give you the choice first. I'll go spooky or like pretty kind of happy. Which one do you want to hear first? Uh, let's go kind of happy. Okay, cool. So I don't remember the year, but um, we were buddies in my and I were fishing um, a tailwater, kind of the central Colorado outside of like the ski town area. And it was getting later in the day and we were walking back to our car and uh, it was a windy canyon that we were walking up and around the turn comes a car that had just gotten a flat tire and they stopped uh, right by us and they were an elderly couple and they were dressed really nice. It seemed like they were going out to dinner somewhere and it, I, we were not about to let them change that tire. So we offered to change the tire and it all was good and they were super happy and thankful and um, they were very sweet and they offered us some money and we were like, no, 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 it's fine. Don't, you don't need anything. You know, we're happy to do it. You guys go have a great dinner. And I think we settled on some amount cause they were, you know, they were insistent, which was very sweet. Um, but then I think a year later, I think it was the next year or something, we were back in the same river and we were walking up back to the car and right about the same spot. And I go, Hey, like, do you remember last year? Remember that car? And we fixed the tire up and right about when that happens, my buddy looks down and he goes, Hey, I just found 40 bucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess there was some karma there. I mean, we didn't take as much as we were owed, but uh, <laughs> that's kind of a crazy one. That's good stuff. What about spooky? What do you, what, what, where okay. are we going with this? Spooky. Um, this is when I was in grad school, we often would fish later into the evening. It was kind of, it was getting cold so that the brown start were, brown trout were starting to stage and we were fishing kind of uh, an impoundment on a river. It wasn't anything big. So think of more like the Lake river or something in there. And right by where the water started to slow down, you could see the fish stack up and we knew where they were. So we were going to head back at night and we, we went out pretty late, like one, I think it was 
there was no moon, so it was very dark, and we had headlamps on. And uh, we started pulling streamers, and they're not huge fish in this system, but I got one pretty quickly, and I was like, yes, this is going to be it. We figured it out. It's going to be a great night. And um, then pretty soon, we hear a huge splash. There's two of us. It was right next to us. And the person I was with really freaked out. And I'm like, no, it's a, it's the big fish. It's the browns. That's why we're here. This is going to be awesome. And within like 30 seconds, another huge rock careening even closer to us. And we didn't, we didn't spend any more time. We, we got out of there so fast. We were so paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I was so paranoid. I didn't drive. I didn't just like turn and spend bail for home. I went further up the canyon thinking, oh man, somebody's going to be following us. This is crazy. But, you know, nobody was following us. So I turned around and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe some kids just, you know, messing with us. So I was like, okay, we'll put on the brights. We'll go back by slowly. And, you know, there was no signs of cars. I had no idea what it was, but it was, huh. it was super scary. And I don't think I slept the rest of that night. I just got up, you know, got back and just pretended like it was the middle of the day because I was just amped up. <laughs> wow. What do you think it was? I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, I think it's probably kids, but <laughs> it was the middle of the night. I went back the next day because I wanted to kind of see where it came from. And I, I, have, I could have been anything, but it was in the moment, you know, you're so, yeah. you're so focused. And sometimes you get so intent on fishing, kind of, you know, in the zone and you forget about like, oh man, maybe this wasn't a great idea going out <laughs> to late doing this. <laughs> oh man, I, you know, I almost got killed one time. I was on my own up a canyon, uh, quite a ways in the middle of nowhere, to be honest with you. I probably shouldn't have been on my own, but I felt something and it was wind from a boulder that had broken loose off of the cliff oh, behind wow. me. And it just missed, like, I mean, Whoa. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Like I felt the wind and just the sound. I'll never forget that sound. I thought, you know, if I was wow. standing like, uh, a foot or two to my left, I'd be, uh, I'd be in the river, but, uh, wow. yeah, things, things like that. You remember and, and, and when it's lower light, you, you, mm-hmm. you can't always explain. Yeah. That's good stuff. I always like to ask people about if they have any crazy stories. <laughs> Cause you know, we all have them, but yeah, it's uh, good stuff. So Andy, um, let's, let's talk social media. So where can we okay. find you at? Do West anglers. Uh, I love what you guys are up to and, and tell the folks if they haven't, uh, been to your site where they can find it and what you guys are up to. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, we're at com or on Twitter or Instagram at Anglers. And um, I try not to get too sucked into the social media, but I check it pretty regularly. And you know, So if anybody wants to reach out for anything, I'll be able to respond or my counterpart will be able to respond. And Yeah, we try to keep it pretty fun. I mean, I know it's all heavy science, blah, 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 but I mean, we're just trying to have fun too. And I think understanding it helps me have fun, so... So, you know, I would hope that everybody else agrees, and it's it's there if you guys want to find it. Yeah, you got my attention when you said in your bio, when I was reading, firm believer that fly fishing is just applied science. <laughs> and we appreciate what you're doing with your background and, and keeping us uh, informed. Thanks so much, Andy, for coming on. Yeah, thank you, guys. This was really fun to talk to you. We've been chatting with Andy Witt, founder of Due West Anglers out of Denver, Colorado. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. 
Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Thank you.